Hello, and welcome to Christ Fellowship of Elizabeth. We're so happy that you decided to join us today. This is the teaching podcast from our Sunday worship service, recorded at the Liberty Center in Elizabeth, New Jersey. Our goal as a church is to love God, make disciples, and change the world. We hope that this message inspires you and helps to lead you deeper in your relationship with Jesus. Enjoy. Good morning, Christ Fellowship. My name is Joel, and we're in the middle of a series titled The Promise of Restoration. And what we've been learning is that God is in the restoration business. In fact, he created the business. He made this business. Ever since the fall in the Garden of Eden, uh, God has been working out his plan of redemption to restore all things back to the way they were originally, to the original form. And if you've been reconciled with God through Jesus, this includes you. This is, you're a part of this. God has this way of doing things where when he's working inside of our lives, if he's restoring a part of your life, an area of your life, he takes that part of your life that he's restoring and he brings it back to how it should have been. He brings it back to how it was meant to be. He restores you. So today specifically, we're going to talk about the restoration process. You know, it's so common to say or feel these words. I'm sure you've thought of this. You've felt this before. I wish things would, be, would go back to how they used to be. This is common for us to feel when things uh, seem to go a little bit the wrong way, maybe a wrong turn. So I have a list of a few examples of where you might feel this or think this. Uh, The first one is this. As you get older and your body begins to fail you, you might find yourself, someone already laughed, right? You might find yourself saying, I wish things would go back to how they used to be. As you grow up and life's responsibilities and struggles start to weigh on you, you might find yourself saying, I wish things would go back to how they used to be. If a friendship or any kind of relationship takes a wrong turn, I wish things would go back to how they used to be. I think you're getting the pattern here, right? When your financial situation gets out of order or out of control, I wish things would go back to how they used to be. Uh, Dealing with, I'm sorry, in general, dealing with consequences of your own mistakes and your sins. I wish things would go back to how they used to be. Dealing with new mental or emotional health struggles. I wish things would go back to how they used to be. And then the last one, when you lose someone you love, of course, you're wishing that things would go back to how they once were. Throughout the Bible, we see time and time again that God cares about restoring uh, us. He cares about bringing things back to how they once were, how they were originally. Now, sometimes there are things that aren't going to go back to exactly as they were. For example, if you're dealing with pains in your body because of your age, that doesn't mean God's going to restore your youth, you know, back to, you know, you're going to have the same health of when you were 15 years old. You know, that's not the way it works, right? And by the way, if you're 15 years old and you're listening or if you're physically here right now or watching online, like enjoy it. Please enjoy it. Enjoy your youth because it will go away, I promise you. If you're, if you're dealing with consequences of your own mistakes and your sins, that doesn't mean God's going to restore, you know, restore restoration. In this case, doesn't mean he's going to remove those consequences. That's not how it works. That's part of life. Those consequences are part of it. If you've lost someone you love, you know that you're not getting them back. They're gone. But biblical restoration does say something, though. It says, it teaches us, however, that the parts of us that were attached to what we've lost 
we can't get back. The parts that were attached to those things that we lost, those parts that were, you know, those things that were us, a part of us that we lost, we can get those things back. For example, you might have to still deal with the body aches. I'm sorry. You still have to deal with the body aches that come with age. But God can restore to you the joy that you once had. You might have to suffer the consequences of your mistakes and your sin, but God can restore to you the freedom from guilt and shame, which a lot of times, to be honest, is the harder part. You might have to still deal with the consequences, but he'll free you from the guilt and shame. And when you lose someone you love, it feels like you lost a part of yourself, almost as if you lost a part of your own identity. But what God says is he can restore to you the sense of security that you, felt you might have lost. He can restore to you the ability to love again, once without, you know, love once again without fear. So there are things that God can definitely restore, even if it doesn't go back to exactly as it was externally. King David speaks of God's restoration in the Psalms. So Psalm 23, verse 3 says, he restores my soul. I'm sure you've read that, you know, and he's talking about God. Psalm 51, verse 12 says, restore to me the joy of your salvation. And then Peter in the book of Acts talks about God's ultimate plan of restoration. In Acts 3, verse 21, he's speaking to a crowd of people that are listening, and he's talking about Jesus. And when he referenced Jesus, he says, he must remain in heaven until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. That's the promise of restoration that God has, that God gives. See, God is in the business of restoration. That's for sure. Like you see that in the Bible. He's in the business of restoration. He wants to restore things back to how they were meant to be. But there's a process. There's a process. Think of God's plan for redemption for mankind. For all of human history, God has been working out his plan of redemption to save us. For all of human history, Adam allowed sin into the world, but it was thousands of years later when Jesus died on a cross and defeated all sin. And then it's been thousands of years since then, and we're still in the process, all the way from Adam until now. Now, I say thousands of years, and I can already imagine some of you guys cringing because I'm saying that number, and I'm not saying that number to, to ruffle any feathers. By no means, that's not what I'm doing it for. I'm just going by a biblical understanding of when God made Adam the first human being until now. And I don't believe Adam is allegorical. Like, when I read it, he was a real person. How do I know that? In the New Testament, it speaks of Adam explicitly when, it's, when they're listing the genealogy of Jesus. So Adam was a real person. But if you want to say, if you want to say that it's been 200,000 years since people have been in this world, well, you're just extending my point of God's plan being in motion for a very long time. I'm not talking about the age of the world or the universe either. But even with that, that's the number that only God knows. But there's one thing that the Bible makes very clear in Genesis 1 verse 1, that God was there from the start. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right from the start. And no later than that date, no later than that date, did God begin his plan of redeeming people back to him and restoring things and restoring the relationship that you were supposed to have with him from the start. I want to point out two things. The time and the detail that, that God puts into his plan is proof of how much he loves us. The time and the detail that God puts into his plan is proof of how much he loves you. Why? Because you only spend time on something you care about. And how long has he been working on his plan? He cares about you. He cares about redeeming you back onto him to restore the relationship that you were once 
so, that you were meant to have with him all along. And the second thing I want to point out, time itself isn't the main requirement for God's process. However, this process re- does require key events and experiences that often take time. So if you're listening right now and you're in need of restoration, which, by the way, we all are, like everyone is. If you're listening right now and you're in need of restoration, understand that it does take a process. It does take a process. But don't worry because God's process is already in motion. It's been in motion for a very long time. Trust him. Trust him to restore. There's a person in the Bible that experienced God's restoration that I think we can learn a lot of, a lot from rather. We can learn a lot from this story that we're going to listen to. Um, And what we can learn is a lot about Jesus. We can learn a lot about ourselves. We can learn a lot about God's restoration process as we listen to this. So this morning, I'd like to talk about Peter. Now, for those that know Peter, Peter was a disciple of Jesus. For three years, he followed Jesus day in and day out. Like he was always with him all the time. And Peter was outspoken and impulsive. Uh, raise your hand if you identify with Peter a little bit. Are you impulsive? Are you outspoken? Like maybe you're a little impulsive with some of the things you do or say. Let, let me see those hands again. I want to see how many Peters we have in the house. One, two, three, four. Th- a whole lot of Peters in this building. Nice to meet you. How you doing? We're going to talk a little bit about you today. So if Peter, um, I'm sorry, if the disciples had a reality TV show, like if, if they had a reality TV show for those years that they were following Jesus, Peter would have been the star disciple, like hands down. He would have been a star disciple because he would have, he's the one that would have given you things to talk about when you went to work the next day after every episode. He would have given you stuff to talk about if you went to school, wherever you go, he's the one that you would have referred to. He would have, you, know, you would go to work or school the next day and say, did you see last episode? Did you see what Peter did? Did you hear what he said? Did you, did you pay attention to that? Did you see when Peter walked out the boat? Like, what was he thinking walking out the boat? Of course he was going to sink. Yeah, he took a couple steps. That's cool. But of course he was going to sink after that. What was he doing? Did you see when Peter pulled out his sword and, you know, uh, cut off a man's ear when he was trying to defend Jesus? Like, that was Peter. Peter was the one that would give you things to talk about. You know, he was a man of action. The thing is, his action often led to uh, Jesus's correction and sometimes even Jesus's rebuke. You know, he was a man of action. Peter, hands down, Peter was Peter. He was confident. He was brave, but he was also sometimes short-tempered, impulsive, and boastful. So let's look at this story a little bit. It starts here at the night before Jesus uh, being crucified. So the night before Jesus was crucified, he had dinner with his disciples, and this is famously called the Last Supper. Like, I'm sure you've heard of it. There are plenty of paintings of it. I'm sure you've seen the paintings. After they all ate, Jesus begins to talk to them. And Peter being Peter speaks up, practically interrupting Jesus as he's speaking. Now, if this is the TV show again, this is when the camera zooms in onto Peter, letting you know to pay attention to what Peter's about to say, because you know he's going to say something that is going to be impulsive. It's going to be something that catches your attention. And sure enough, he doesn't let the the audience down, because when he starts to speak, he speaks out of uh, pride and even a little bit of... uh, impulsivity, right? If that's a word. So listening to this, he actually proves to be mistakenly untrue. What he says, what he's about to say is mistakenly untrue. He didn't do it on purpose. It was just him being himself. He wasn't lying on purpose, but what he does say ends up being uh, found out to be untrue. So let's read this conversation that happens. It's in a book of Matthew chapter 26, and it's verses 31 through 35. 
And it says, then Jesus told them this very night, you will all fall away on account of me. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. And Peter replied, I really think it should say Peter interrupted because that's what he does, right? Peter replied in the middle of Jesus talking, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Now, most people, most people, maybe not the people that raise their hands, right? Not not the Peters that are in the building. But most people, when Jesus responded after that, they would have thought, all right, you know what? I said something and Jesus told me pretty much I'm wrong. So let me be quiet now. But not Peter. That's not who he was. He responded to Jesus again. He said, no, Jesus, listen to me. Watch. Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. I like that little detail that the Bible, the Bible has a funny thing of adding details to the story. That's when you know it's true. Like when you listen to someone's testimony of, of an experience they had, they add details that almost, it's like, why did you even mention that detail? Because they're just thinking of all the things that really happened. And I think the Bible does that all the time. Like that's a little detail there. It's like all the disciples said the same. It makes me wonder why the disciples, you know, said the same. It's one of two things. Either they heard Peter and they got excited and they're like, yeah, 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 we'll die, we'll ride with you too. We'll die with you too, God. We'll die with you too, Jesus. Either they got really excited or they felt pressured because they felt like um, uh, Peter was showing out. And they were like, no, no, we have to, we have to say the same. No, no, we'll die with you too, God. But in the inside, really saying, like, why are we talking about death? I don't want to, like, we just ate. I don't want to die. Why are you talking about this? So it's a little funny detail. But going back to Peter, that was a big claim by Peter. He basically told Jesus, Jesus, you're wrong. My loyalty, even my love for you, is greater than that of all the other disciples. Even if all else betray you, I would never turn my back to you. I'll never do it. And Peter is going to realize how big that claim really was in just a little while. So let's fast forward a little bit later on into that same chapter, verses 69 through 75. So it's after the Last Supper, Jesus and his disciples went to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. And this is where Judas betrays Jesus, where he, le- he leads uh, some soldiers into the garden to arrest Jesus. And again, Peter being Peter, he does something brave but impulsive. He pulls out his sword and he attacks one of the soldiers trying to defend Jesus. And once again, Jesus normally having to clean up uh, Peter's mess or correct him, you know, he, he tells him to put the sword away and he heals the man. And then, of course, we know the story. He gets arrested. And as soon as he gets arrested, like his words, you can see the story of what he said at the last supper just coming into play. Everyone scattered. All the disciples just disappeared, except for John and Peter. So, so far, Peter's saying something that was true, right? He didn't disappear at that moment. They actually followed the disciples, I'm sorry, they followed the soldiers to see where they were going to take Jesus. So that was really brave what they did at that moment. Everyone else disappeared, except for John and Peter. So let's read what happens. Picking up at that moment, they followed the soldiers and the soldiers took uh, Jesus. And now it says, now Peter was sitting out in the courtyard and a servant girl came to him. You also were with Jesus in Galilee, she said, but he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Then he went out to the gateway where another servant girl saw him and said to the people there, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. He denied it again with an oath. I don't know the man. 
After a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, surely you're one of them. Your accent gives you away. He probably tried to change his accent after that. Your accent gives it away. Then he began to call down curses and he swore to them, I don't know the man. Immediately, that third time, immediately a rooster crowed. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you would disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. At that, at that, at that moment, he realized I did exactly what Jesus said I was going to do. What happened? Like, what happened to Peter? Not too long before this, Peter was willing to fight. He was willing to basically die. He was willing to pull out his sword and fight the soldiers, even though they were probably outnumbered and out, you know, outmanned and outweaponed, right? And he was willing to do that to defend Jesus. But now he was denying to even know Jesus. I, I want you to picture this for a second. Imagine, like Jesus, hold on, sorry. Jesus' prediction proved to be true. Peter denied Jesus three times. And Peter's claim that he would never betray Jesus, even if everyone else did, was proven untrue. He did betray Jesus three times. But I want you to imagine this. Imagine what it was like at that moment for Peter. Imagine what he was feeling at the moment. Like he denied knowing Jesus. It says that he wept bitterly. Like, think of, think of yourself in that situation. Imagine you disown someone that you really love, someone you really care about. Like, imagine someone was hurting someone that you love, you really care about, and they ask you, hey, aren't you with so-and-so? And your response is, I don't know that person. And he did that three times. That's what it was, that's what it was for Peter. Like, it was pretty much fear and weakness that took over him. Peter must have been devastated. See, up until that point, he was the brave one. Now he was scared to admit he knew Jesus. Up until that point, he was outspoken. And now he was a man of a few words. I bet for the next couple of days, Jesus, Peter found himself saying, you know, I wish things would go back to the way they once were. I bet he was there. Especially because he didn't even get a chance to talk to Jesus because right after that, not too long afterwards, he was crucified. So we're going to fast forward a little bit again. And now we're going to jump books, actually. We're going to go to John chapter 21, verses 15 through 19. And in this part of the story, Peter's restored. So this is important. By now, Jesus had been crucified and resurrected. So that whole situation where Jesus was arrested and then Peter denied him, that was pretty much, you can say, Thursday night, let's say. Friday comes and Good Friday, we know what Good Friday, what happens there, Jesus is crucified. And then Saturday, he's, you know, just in the tomb. And on Sunday, he resurrects. So at this point, Jesus had been crucified and resurrected. It's already past that Sunday. And he had presented himself to the disciples a couple of times, as well as to other people. They already know Jesus had risen from, uh, risen from the dead, and they physically have seen him. But now on this particular situation, on this morning, Peter and the disciples were fishing. Jesus appeared to them once again, and he ate breakfast with them. Like, thinking about bucket list. That's bucket list right there. They were having breakfast with Jesus after he resurrected. And this is what it says. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? That's a very specific wording in that question. Do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of God, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? 
And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you're, when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. There's so much that happened in that conversation, in that back and forth. There was a lot going on. Some of it you might have noticed. Some of it you probably didn't. So I want to spend some time focusing on this conversation. If you didn't notice, in that short conversation, Jesus restored Peter. Jesus restored Peter. And there was a process. So let's break down some of those things that happened. The first thing I'm sure you've noticed, Jesus asks Peter the same question three times. Like, you know what that makes me think of? That makes me think of my kids. When my kids ask me the same question a million times. And it's either one of two reasons. Either one, I'll just be honest. I don't know if everyone's going to be honest this morning. I'll be honest. One reason they might do that is because I'm not responding to them. Like, they just ask me and I'm either trying to ignore it or I'm busy or whatever. You know, sometimes you don't respond. The other reason why they might ask the question over and over is because they don't like my answer. <laughs> you know, sometimes they just ask it again. But in this case, something else is happening. Something totally different is happening in this case on why Jesus asks the same question three times. And it's once for each of Peter's denials. Remember, Peter denied Jesus three times. So each question is basically removing or replacing one of Peter's denials. The first question was worded in a very specific way. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Why did he word it that way? Jesus worded the question this way for a reason. He was addressing Peter's claim in the Last Supper that he loved Jesus more than the rest and would never betray Jesus even if everyone else did. He was bringing Peter back to that, that claim that he made at the Last Supper. It's kind of like a heart check. Like it's kind of bringing him back to that and saying, remember when you said this? Remember when you were being boastful at that moment? Are you still in that same place? Are you still going to be boastful? Are you still competing with others? You know, in that one question, that's what Jesus was doing to Peter. And the second question was, Simon, son of John, do you love me? So it was the same question, but more personal now. Now it wasn't in comparison to other people. Now it was simply, do you love me? See, it was a little deeper now. It was, a, it was going a little deeper into the heart. You know what this reminds me? If you've ever seen the movie Goodwill Hunting, that was a great movie. Anyone ever seen the movie Goodwill Hunting? So Matt Damon and Robin Williams are pretty much big parts of this movie. Matt Damon is, is Will Hunting, and I forget Robin Williams' name in this movie. I, I feel so bad. He was a great actor in that movie. But he was a psychologist, and Will Hunting was this young, super bright, you can pretty, pretty much call him a genius, young guy who was very troubled. And throughout the whole movie, they're building this basically relationship where, you know, a psychologist and a client, but they end up being friends. And towards the end of the movie is the last time where they're going to see each other because they're ending the sessions. And Robin Williams goes up to uh, Matt Damon, or let's just call him Will. He goes up to him and he says, it's not your fault. And then the first time he catches him so off guard, he's like, I don't know, what are you talking about? And he says again, it's not your fault. And every time he says it, he says it many times, every time he says it, the young man's posture gets a little more hard. It gets, he gets a little more serious. His face gets a little more serious. 
And about like the third or fourth time, he says, it's not your fault. He says, don't mess with me. Don't say this. Don't mess, because now it's sinking in. It's not your fault. And he says, don't do this. Not you. Don't do this to me. It's not your fault. He even pushes him back because he gets aggressive because he's digging deep now. It's not your fault. And he says it, I don't know how many times, let's say eight times, it's not your fault. And then eventually he starts getting close to him. It's not your fault. And he grabs him and he hugs him. And Will Hunting just starts crying on his shoulder. And he says, it's not your fault. And he's crying on his shoulder. Why? Because this was a broken young man. And that question was just piercing at it, or that statement rather, was piercing at his heart. It was digging deeper every single time into his brokenness. And at that moment, he was restored. That's exactly what Jesus is doing in this case. That second time he asks him, he's digging a little deeper. But watch what happens the third time Jesus asks the same question. It's the same exact question as the second one. The third question was, again, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And the Bible says, it was the same question, but it says, it says that Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time. He was hurt. Like, why was he hurt? Because he's digging deeper. He's getting deeper now into the root of his brokenness. I think this was a good hurt, by the way. It wasn't a bad hurt. It was a good hurt. It was a healing kind of hurt. It was like when you have to pop a bone back into place kind of hurt. Like it hurts, but it heals you. That's the kind of hurt, and it sounds funny, right? But that's the kind of hurt that he was having. It hurts, but it heals you. With the third question, I'm sure Peter finally realized what Jesus was doing. Just like Will Hunting finally, at some point in that process, realized what the psychologist was doing. He was digging into his brokenness. At some point, with that third question, Peter realized what Jesus was doing. He was digging into his brokenness. He was bringing them back to the denials. See, we look at the story and we know already, oh, it was three questions for three denials. As that it was happening, Peter had no idea what was happening. He didn't know, oh, Jesus is about to ask me three questions. The same time, it's the same question every time. And he's going to make me, he's going to restore me from what I did. He, he didn't catch on to that. The third time he just heard him. And then he started to catch on, oh, you're bringing me back to those denials. That's what you're doing. A second thing that's happening, Jesus asked three questions. The second thing that happens is Peter gave Jesus the same response three times. So Jesus asked the same question three times, and Peter gave the same exact response three times. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. See, Peter's response was doing something too. It was reaffirming his love for Jesus. If the same question three times brought Peter back to his denial, if it reminded him of his denial of Jesus, The same response reminded Peter of his love for Jesus. And that was very important. It was reaffirming his love for Jesus. Jesus was on to something. Notice, this wasn't a typical apology slash forgiveness situation. Like no one said, I'm sorry. No one said your sins are forgiven. That's not what happened here. I know Paul talks about when Jesus first resurrected, he did appear to Peter. Maybe they had a one-on-one. I don't know. But in this situation, that's not what's happening. There wasn't no I'm sorry and you're forgiven situation going on. That's not what happened. Jesus' purpose was very clear. He was restoring Peter from his denials. And he included Peter in the process. See, forgiveness is just the beginning of it. Forgiveness is not just the full restoration. When you come to Christ, forgiveness is the beginning of it, but you spend the rest of your life being restored by God. So you might have known Jesus for a very long time. Don't think you're fully restored. Everybody's broken. Everyone needs restoration, and that doesn't end until you're in the presence of God forever. 
So in this case, it wasn't just forgiveness happening. It was restoration happening. He was restoring Peter from his his denials. And he included Peter in the process. Take note of this. He included Peter in the process by challenging him to look at his denials face to face, but also encouraging him to overcome them, to forgive himself and be faithful to Jesus once again. He wasn't just confronting him with his denials. He made him confront his denials for sure, but he made them, he made him face it and then overcome it himself, forgiving himself and being faithful to Jesus again. Jesus was basically telling Peter, forgive yourself. He wasn't saying, I forgive you. Of course that happened already. Of course that was, that's already assumed I forgive you. What he was doing here is forgive yourself. Didn't Pastor Debbie talk about that last week? You're not defined by your failures. He was saying, forgive yourself. He was helping Peter get free from the guilt and the shame. So that's the second thing that happened. He gave the same response three times. He was a part of that process. Number three, Jesus reinstates Peter, telling him three times to be a leader of this church. So after Peter's response every time, Jesus would say something like, feed my lambs, take care of my sheep, feed my sheep. And he's not talking about real animals here. That's not what he's doing. The lamb and the sheep in this, in this was a reference to all the people that would become part of the church because the church was about to take off. With this, Peter was being reinstated by Jesus as the leader of the disciples and of the early church. Notice how he did this in public. He did this in front of the other disciples. This part wasn't in private anywhere. This was right in front of all the other disciples. So they can see I'm restoring him and I'm reinstating him. So they never had to question who's the leader of the early church, who's the leader of the disciples here. It was Peter because Jesus did that. He reinstated him. That's very important. And finally, Jesus told Peter the price he would have to pay for following him. I want to read that part again. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went went, went where you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. See, the very thing that Peter originally claimed, now Jesus is saying, now you're going to do it. He, he was claiming before that he would follow Jesus even unto death. And now Jesus is telling him, it's true. Now you will. Now you won't shrink back. Now you won't be afraid. You won't get weak. Now you're going to overcome. So follow me now. Now you're going to do it. And now follow me. And of course, not too long after this, we know the day of Pentecost comes. That was a great day where thousands of people came to, you know, came to the faith. Peter was used in a, in, a, in a magnificent way. All the disciples are filled with the Holy Spirit. And Peter speaking out to, you know, who knows how many people, probably thousands of people. And then he was used in a mighty way. And many people came to believe the message of Jesus. And there Peter becomes the first leader of the early church. So there's a whole lot to learn of the story of Peter and how he was restored by Jesus. And I want to I talk about this a little bit. Let's talk about how we can learn from this. There are quite a few things that I notice, and maybe there are a few things that you've noticed as well. And the first one is this. We all need restoration. Like everyone does. We all need restoration. Don't think restoration is just when you're in a very bad situation. It's also when you're somewhere in the middle. It's not just when you're in a devastating situation. Of course you need restoration there. But it's when you're in the process of getting to that very bad situation too. We all need restoration no matter where you are. 
Peter, as impulsive as he may have been, let's, let's be honest, he was often bold in his faith and quick to stand up for what he believed. Like he did things other disciples didn't do. He acted when others stayed quiet. He walked on water. Like, I know he sunk, but the dude walked on water. Go, go back and check it out. He walked on water because he was bold enough to get out of the boat. Yeah, he was wild, but he had some wild faith too. He tried to defend Jesus from the, others, from the soldiers. He followed Jesus when mostly everyone else ran away. He did a lot of right things. He did. And yet even Peter needed restoration. This is the man that was going to be the, the leader of the early church, and yet he also needed to be restored. Sometimes people feel like they're too good or too strong or too smart to need to be restored. At the end of it all, we're all in, in need of God's restoration. Because at the end of it all, we're all broken people living in a broken world that's still in the process of being restored. Like, that's the truth of who we are. That's the reality that we have to accept. At the end of it all, we're still a broken people living in a broken world that's still in the process of being restored. And yes, one day it's going to reach its full restoration, but we're still in that process. And we're still in the middle of it. So my question is this. Are you failing to realize your need for God's restoration? Do you feel too good, too strong, too smart to need to be restored? And this is anyone in any situation. This is, this is those that are listening that don't have a faith in Christ. This is for those that are listening that ha- have had a faith in Christ in a very long time, for a le- very long time. Do you feel like you're too holy, too strong, too smart, too devoted to your discipline, too, too I don't know, too close to God to feel like you need his restoration? Because let me, let me tell you, that's how it started with Peter, right? That's exactly how it started. Even if everyone else fails, he wasn't going to fail. Even if everyone betrayed Jesus, he wasn't going to betray Jesus. He was too smart, too strong, too bold, too devoted, too loyal. But he did. He did fail. He, he did need God's restoration. So the first thing I take from this is we all need God's restoration. But the, the other one, if the, if the first one kind of is a wake-up call, and I hope it is, I hope it's a wake-up call, the second one is like that call, but on the other side is God telling you, you're never too far from restoration. You're never too far from it. Yeah, Peter did a lot of good during the years that he followed Jesus. His denial of Jesus was definitely devastating, though. Like, he did a lot of great things, but that, that was devastating to him. He felt like he was the worst disciple other than Judas. Like, I'm sure he didn't think he was on Judas status. Judas was definitely bad, right? But I'm sure he felt like next to Judas, like if Judas is out of the picture, like it's me. Like he, he probably felt like he was the worst, the worst disciple, you know, other than Judas. Again, I give the example I gave earlier. Imagine someone is going to hurt a person you love dearly. And instead of standing up with that loved one, you deny even knowing them. Like that's what he did three times. And he never even had a chance to apologize or to, to go to Jesus because he died. And until he was resurrected, imagine the suffering that, that Peter was going through up until then. Like, he didn't know Jesus was coming back. It didn't click. It didn't click until he actually came back. And, oh, you did say this. I wish I was paying attention. Or, I wish I got it. He didn't, he didn't get that. That whole time, he was just suffering in misery, thinking, I'm the worst thing in the world. I'm the worst thing next to Judas. Imagine how broken he felt. I can imagine how far he probably felt from God during this time. See, when we're broken, we feel like we're unfixable. And that, that's real. That's, that's one of the, the harsh realities of life. When we're broken, we feel like we, 
need to stay there. We feel like we can't get out of that. We're unfixable. We get this sense like we can't be redeemed. We can't be fixed. See, sin and the consequence of it, whether it's our own consequence or that of others, tends to make us feel like we're unfixable. Sometimes we feel like we can't be restored. Like things have gotten way too bad, way too out of control. God can't even restore it. Peter was Jesus' right-hand man, and he disowned him three times. But guess what? Even he was restored. He was Jesus' right-hand man, and he denied him three times, and even Peter himself was restored. So that means we're never too far from restoration. You're only as far from restoration as you want to be. You're only as far from God's healing hand as you want to be. We're never too far from being restored by God. Things can never get so bad that God deems us unfixable. So my question is, do you feel like you're too far from Jesus' reach to restore you? Do you feel like you're just out of God's reach and you can't, you, you can't get close enough to be restored? Because the truth is, you're never too far from restoration. Number three, so so far we have you know, everyone uh, needs restoration. Secondly, you're never too far from restoration. And thirdly, you have a part in the, in the restoration process as well. See, look at Peter for a second. Look at that conversation they had. There was a process. Jesus asked questions. Peter gave his responses. Jesus reinstated Peter. Notice that Peter was a part of it. He didn't go into Jesus' operating room, right? Get anesthesia, go to sleep. Jesus did his thing and he wake up all fixed. That's not how it worked. He was a part of that process himself. He had to look at Jesus, the one he denied, confront his own betrayal as he was questioned and reaffirm his love for Jesus as he stood before him. Like, think about how, how challenging that must have been. He had to look at Jesus as he was right in front of him and confront the betrayals, the three denials. He had to confront it. And then he had to reaffirm his love for Jesus as he stood right in front of him. This wasn't a passive process. It was active on both sides. It was active on Jesus' part, and it was also active on Peter's part. So the question is, are you willing to be an active participant in God's restoration process? Are you willing to look at the cause of your brokenness face-to-face? See, I don't know what it is that causes you to be broken. I don't know. I don't know if you're thinking about your marriage. I don't, I don't know if you're thinking about relationships with your children or your parents. I don't know if those are the areas of your life that you feel like just broken. I don't know if you're thinking about friends or your own spiritual walk. I don't know if you're thinking about your thought life. Are you thinking about your work life? Are you thinking about your internet life? I don't know what part of your life you're thinking of when you think of brokenness, but are you willing to look at that brokenness, at the cause of it, face to face? Are you willing to confront it? See, Peter didn't deny what he did wrong. He wept over it. Peter accepted the truth. He didn't run away from it when Jesus confronted him about it. Peter humbled his heart. He didn't cover his brokenness with pride. Are you willing to look at the cause of your brokenness face to face? Are you willing to take up Jesus's challenge? It might hurt a little bit, but it's a good kind of hurt, like popping a bone back into place. It's restoring things to how it was meant to be. And number four, restoration might not look exactly like you want, but more like what you need. Peter's restoration included being crucified for his faith in Jesus. Like Jesus told him this at the end. Jesus told him the following meant knowing that this would happen at the end. He was going to die for his faith. If if being restored includes things that are difficult for you, would you do it? And it might not be the extreme case of Peter's dying for your faith, 
But what if it includes requiring a deeper commitment to your relationship with Jesus? Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to make a deeper commitment to your faith in Jesus? Or are you hoping that God just takes you into the operating room, puts you to sleep, does what he has to do, and then you feel all better when you come out? Your brokenness might be more of a healing from within rather than regaining what you've lost externally. Will you accept it? One last thing. When God restores, he makes things even better than how they were. Peter was restored by Jesus. He was reinstated as the leader of the disciples in the early church. But he wasn't exactly the same like he was before. Before he was impulsive and overly confident. Now Peter was humble. He was empowered by the Holy Spirit instead of his own pride. Before it was kind of like his own pride, his own confidence that that made him do those wild things sometimes. But now his empowerment was from the Holy Spirit. He was a changed man. He was a better man. See, do you want to be restored for the better even if things don't go back to how they used to be? Or are you just hoping, are you just clinging on to the way exactly as it was before? And if it doesn't get back to exactly as it was before, you're not all that interested. See, God makes you better, but better refers to making you better on the inside, not so much externally. You might not recuperate all the things you lost externally, but in the inside, God makes you better. Peter was a better man afterwards. Are you willing to to go down that journey if that's what it means? You know, I just have a couple final thoughts. Jesus asked Peter three times, do you love me? What if Jesus is asking you the same question? Do you love me? Each time he asks you, he digs into your heart a little bit deeper. Do you love me? One question I have for you. Would you respond? And before you say yes, would you respond? Understand what a response means. Because remember, responding means confronting your own brokenness. The response itself means you're confronting that brokenness. Whether it's confronting your own sin, whether it's confronting your pain, maybe it's just pain from life in general. Maybe it's confronting guilt and shame. A response means you're going to face that head on. Would you respond? And then secondly, what would your response be? Can you honestly say, yes, Lord, you know that I love you? Can that be your response in truth and sincerity? Remember, Jesus knows the answer already. Like, that's the crazy part. Jesus already knew that Peter loved him. Jesus knew that. So why did he ask? He knew Peter loved him, but he was just helping Peter remember that he loved him. But can you truthfully tell Jesus, yes, Lord, you know that I love you? Does your life reflect it? Because Jesus knows the true answer. As Jesus asks you, he might be helping you remember that you do love him. See, sometimes we get lost in our shame and our guilt. Sometimes we need that reminder because we get lost in our brokenness and we forget, no, Lord, I am in a loving relationship with you. I'm not too far from you. I'm in a loving relationship with you. I might be going through areas of brokenness, but... At the heart of it, I'm with you. Sometimes we need that reminder just like Peter did. But other times when God asks that question, for some of us, Jesus asking the question, do you love me, is to help you realize you really don't. You don't really love him because you don't really know him. You can't love Jesus if you don't know Jesus. To know him is to love him. So God, Jesus might be asking this question to remind you that you do, but he also might be asking some of us this question to help us realize that we really don't because we don't know him. And if that's you, my prayer, my hope is that you get to know Jesus. I pray that you get to know him so that you get to love him and you get restored by him.
See, I don't know the cause of your brokenness. You do. I don't know if it's just pain from life because we're in a broken world. I don't know if it's guilt and shame from your own sin or if it's caused by the consequences of someone else's sin. That can also be a, a cause of our brokenness. I don't know if it's physical weakness, a physical brokenness, an emotional, mental, or spiritual brokenness. Whatever it is, we must believe that God is in the business of restoration. He built this business literally on the back of Jesus. He built the business of restoration. It's his business. So if you're tired of being broken because we're all broken, if you're tired of being broken, join the journey of God's restoration. But you have to actively be a part of the process, meaning confronting the brokenness, humbling yourself before God and receiving his forgiveness, getting to know Jesus, getting to love Jesus, and trusting him to restore you to how you were originally meant to be. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. God, we thank you for allowing us to... Lord, your word is what allows us to understand who you are. And we see in your word that you care about restoring things to how they were, they were meant to be from the start. That's something you, you were planning, not only from the beginning of mankind, Lord, but we can even say even before creation, you were planning this. This is all part of your plan to redeem us so that we can be restored into a right relationship with you. God, as, we, as we're here, Lord, I just pray that you look into our hearts, you understand our brokenness, you know where we are, each and every one of us. And I pray, God, that you restore. I pray, God, that you restore the marriages that are broken. I pray, God, that you restore the relationships between father and son, father and daughter, mother and son, mother and daughter. I pray you restore the relationships between, in the, from the other side, the, pe- the child to the parent as well. I pray, God, that you, you restore our physical brokenness, I pray, God, that you restore our spiritual brokenness. If anyone feels far from you and then you're, they're your child, I pray that they're reminded of their love for you and they know that they're not too far from you, Lord. I pray, God, for restoration in all the areas of our lives because I know that's your goal. Lord, if we're broken because we've lost loved ones, Lord, I pray you restore those things that we can get back, that trust that we can have in you, that you have an ultimate plan of restoring us fully when, when you're in presence in your glory. I pray, God, that we get, we can re, you, know, you can restore those areas of, of love that we've lost, Lord, teaching us that we can love once again because we can be secure in you. Lord, we know that you're a God of restoration and you care about it and you love it. And I pray, Lord, that we may trust you as well. When you ask us, do you love me? I pray, God, that we confront that question head on so that we can confront our brokenness head on. And if the answer is yes, I pray we reaffirm that love for you just like Peter did, so we can continue that process of being restored by you. And if we look at that question, and the truth is that we don't, I pray for those that are listening that don't, that they may get to know you, Lord. Because to know you is to love you. And they may also enter that process of restoration. Lord, you're restoring all things. And anyone who's been reconciled with you through Jesus is included in that restoration. So I pray, Lord, that we all be reconciled with you, Lord. And we all enter that process of restoration with you. We love you, Jesus, and we thank you for your goodness. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Enjoy your Sunday. Christ Fellowship of Elizabeth is a Christian community whose mission is to love God, make disciples, and change the world. 
You can learn all about us by visiting cfofelizabeth.com. We meet each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. at the Liberty Center in Elizabeth, as well as at various times throughout the week. If you'd like to see a video recording of the full worship service this teaching came from, you can watch on demand on our YouTube channel, and you can join us live online every week by visiting cfofelizabeth.live. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. Make sure you subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or your favorite podcatcher so you never miss an episode. See you next time.